It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6, 1998. Goldberg captured the gold. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother happy new year everyone welcome to 2021 which is a bit like sting revealing himself in tna it's just a mask and it's still sting underneath but welcome <laughs> to another big year of reliving the war my name is nims Azor, joined as always by my partner in crime simon tackler simon yes we are going to be doing december pay-per-views in january but uh you know Things are a little bit hectic towards the back end of 2020, but happy new year, my friend. Happy new year to you too. And it was a very hectic end to the year. So we're going to cram in the rest of 96 because again, it's a new year. We should be in 1997 right now. We're still stuck in December's limbo of uh, the Monday Night Wars, but we're going to get through it with, with jam packing these episodes. But we've got the granddaddy of them all up first, Starcade. This was a massive show, so we're still going to have to do this one justice and not rush through it because this was very eventful and, you know, another turning point for WCW. Yeah, it certainly was. And as we always do with our WCW recaps here on Reliving the War, and if you want to go back and ha- go through the archives of Reliving the War, you can do so on the Grey Wolf website, greywolfentertainment.com, or you can follow the socials too, Grey Wolf ENT. Uh, on t- Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We always like to get a third man for a WCW pay-per-views. And the best third man that we could think of is our great buddy, Digital Beard, Owen Jones. Owen, first off, welcome. Happy New Hello. Year, brother. And Happy secondly, New Year, everybody. I want to know this. In 1996, how old were you? So, Starcade 96 was on the 29th of December, 1996. I would have been one year, three months, and 20 days old. <laughs> For Simon and I, we were still at least uh, in the latter stages of primary school when this sort of came out. But it's always nice to get some fresh eyes, albeit even if it is about 30 years later. But look, let's start off getting into this. Because as you sort of said, Simon, this is the granddaddy of them all. It is the culmination of a very, very big year for WCW. And the tide has turned. WCW's winning right now in terms of the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, it's not even close. This, you know, regardless of WrestleMania 12, it almost feels like Starcade 96 was the true biggest pay-per-view of the year in terms of hype and sort of what it was going to mean with this massive marquee match with two legends. Um, yeah, it, it, it's weird that there was a period of time where WCW was this far ahead. doesn't last very long, but this is their moment. Like WWF couldn't touch him in terms of box office right now. Correct. Owen, you've been a wrestling fan for a good chunk of your life. You know that WWE has WrestleMania. You know how New Japan has Wrestle Kingdom. TNA's got Bound for Glory. Uh, Ring of Honor's got Final Battle. You know, everyone's got their big marquee shows. 
what was your going into a Starcade? Because I'm going to guess that you have never seen a Starcade in its prime since it's finished in 2001. What was your, you know, the hype behind it? What were the, your impressions going in? Well, having watched the couple shows being either on this podcast or just following along with the show as a listener, um, I'm kind of getting involved in the storylines anyway. Um, and I was kind of hyped going into it anyway, because I obviously didn't, I kind of didn't even know what was going on. And obviously with the last show with Piper and Hogan signing the contract for their main event on the last pay-per-view, which I enjoyed kind of got me a little bit excited. Um, and I, really, I, th- I thought it was kind of cool. I like how like it was like their big show of the year and it was like 10,000 people, not like 60 or 50 or whatever, like the, the fed in that do or like new Japan. But, um, I really enjoyed it. Overall, I actually really enjoyed this this um this event. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it was a yeah, as- solid one. I just just want to say during the um intro video to this, they refer to Starcade as the granddaddy of them all. WWE fans might know that WWE refers to WrestleMania as that. This is really weird that both companies there was a rollover where they were both sort of calling the pay per view that. Like I feel like WWE was doing that in you know the early two thousands at least. But Starcade legit was before WrestleMania. It started in 83, whereas the first yeah. Mania is 85. So this is one of those times where WWE tries rewriting history as they like to do, but give the credit where it's due. Starcade is the true first, you know, American sort of super Supercard. show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the funny thing too is to, to go to, to see where Starcade ended up, like Starcade 2000 was the final one. And that was billed by everyone's like, this is the WrestleMania of WCW. Like that's what people were referring to. So it's such a shame that Starcade started off, got out of the block so great and then just fizzled out so poorly. But we're here right in the prime of WCW. And the most hilarious thing for me before even clicking play on the WWE network is the fact that WWE couldn't even go to the effort to find a high resolution photo <laughs> of the poster for the network. But this was really cool. As you sort of said, oh, this is a huge show for them. It's, but at the same time, it feels like a small show because there's only 10,000 people there. These days, we're so used to stadiums being packed out. Well, at least not in COVID times. But when you see like what essentially looks like a beefed up Nitro, it's pretty insane, especially since they're calling it the match of the decade. Yeah. And um, what, I, yeah, what I actually really enjoyed, speaking of match of the decade and the, um, the commentators hyping everything up, after the last time on insert TV drama show here, intro, because that's what it felt like with the intro, the intro slate for this show was very like last time on ER, very like <laughs> yeah. dramatic um, and like drama TV show. Did you mention, did you, did you hear that Tony Shivani talked about ticket scalpers? Oh, that yes, was hilarious. That popped actually, me so much. It says, I've actually got people are scalping tickets in Nashville just to get in, which may, which actually could have been true. I know, yeah, and, but Dream was like, doesn't it have to be legal? And Tony was like, it's not money out of my pocket or something. It was just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't care. Also, with them contradicting each other, when they were doing the intro for the show, as they normally would, Dream called it the match of the century, Piper and Hogan. And then Tony was like, yeah, it's the match of the decade. Like, just Tony not caring on this show. Just, like, <laughs> not giving a crap about what Dream thinks. 
it was really cool to sort of kick it all off. They're back at the desk as opposed to just standing near the ring, as we saw in World War Three. And I'm sure they were very happy to actually have some seats <laughs> that were far away from uh, the 12 rings that were at uh, World War Three. But we started off with a awesome nine belt match. So much so that the little video wall on the entrance actually says nine belt match. And the very impressive thing, this is one of the coolest things that I loved about WCW, is that Ultimo Dragon would carry the entire J-Crown with him. Like, Sonny Ono was carrying two belts. Ultimo Dragon is draped in gold. And this is a unification match for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, which Dean Malenko has. Owen, we know that you're a massive Japanese wrestling fan. Uh, Ultimo Dragon, you've seen him in WCW uh, in the previous episodes that you've uh, been a guest on this time around, do you feel like he's getting the respect that he deserves a bit? Cause people now know who he is. He's actually been called Ultimo dragon, not ultimate dragon. Like it's a far cry from his appearance at road wild, isn't it? Oh, big time. I, I think, I think from like telecast point of view from like the commentators, he's getting a lot of respect, but in mid nineties, America, a foreigner ain't getting no respect. There were many no. USA chants being being given out. But I, my first note is, yeah, ultimate with all the belts. Um, but Malenko got a huge pop. Like when his entrance music hit, it was like a it was like a Road Warrior style pop. That was huge. Yeah, Dean Malenko was massive back in the 90s. Like, he is one of the most popular dudes in WCW. And Simon, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know here, but uh, you sort of forget that this man was the face of the Cruiserweight uh, division. Yeah, like when I've said, you know, I've watched the uh, Monday Night Wars sort of back recently. It shocked me at how much of a focal point Dean Malenko was, how over he was. I always thought he was good in the ring. But yeah, it, again, WWE has sort of rewritten history in saying that Rey Mysterio was the anchor of the Cruiserweight division and he was the face of it. And Dean Malenko was, especially in this first proper year of them getting the focus. 1996, Dean Malenko is WCW's in-ring MVP and it's not even close, I think. Every pay-per-view we've seen, he kills it. And every Nitro, if you want to watch him, Dean Malenko is the standout. And I think how over he, he was is a part of that too. Like he's just like your tough uncle who walks out and everyone respects him. <laughs> oh, and you touched on this very briefly, but yeah, you're right. Um, Ultimo Dragon, while people, fans know him a little bit too, he still has the, oh, he's a foreigner, USA, USA, which is a constant during WCW's um, run. But the thing I loved about this match was like Malenko and Ultimo Dragon, I don't reckon have the same sort of styles, but this blended so well, but without, as I put, no indie sort of spots, like they really complemented each other. And you've seen a lot more matches of this style than I have. What did you think of that, Owen? Um, yeah, I love this match. Um, there was a spot that Dragon did um, where he did like a fake, he did like a fake out moonsault into a suicide dive. Um, so like he went for like the, he went for the springboard moonsault, but like did the fake out and then ran straight into the suicide dive. It was amazing. I, I popped so much for it. Um, it was such a great match. Um, uh, dragon kicking out of the pile driver in the first, in the mm. first match just burnt the card and I popped so hard for it. Cause <laughs> I think like, we've discussed that before with these two in particular, these guys do that. If they're in the first match, they're going to do tombstones and pile drivers and just ruin everything. It's great. It yeah. was the best. Um, and there was one line of commentary that, that I just lost it for. Um, 
Uh, Ultimate Dragon was in like a leg hold from Dimalenko. And Heenan goes, if his leg stays like that, he'll never walk again. He'll skip everywhere. And I was <laughs> laughing for like at least five minutes. Just like constantly giggling. The commentary um, in this so... match was hilarious. It was, it was, it was really good too. And uh, your buddy, Mike Tanay even uh, jumped on board there too, Simon. And uh, he was, the, the thing too, he always, you, you give him the criticism that uh, I know that you do like to throw a couple of barbs at him, but you got to admit he does sort of educate the primarily Southern, oh, I love me some wrestling sort of fans that WCW has to show guys don't just boo this dude because he's a Japanese guy. He's actually a very good wrestler. Well, yeah, he did give a lot of context in this match and it led to some great moments on commentary. He gave the backstory of Ultimo Dragon, like the kayfabe backstory, which I always think is hilarious. Ultimo Dragon means final dragon. He was supposedly the last protege of Bruce Lee, which is so funny. And the rest of the commentators were like, oh yeah, that's amazing. They just have to go along with it. And then he pronounced his name the proper Mexican way, Ultimo Dragon. And Dream was so tickled by that, he just kept saying Dragon. And then Heenan started doing it. And they were just having their own fun. And then when Tanay called the Dragon Screw Leg Whip, they lost it again. It's just, I love how amazed they are at this, like, world of wrestling they don't know. And they react Mm. to it accordingly. They don't pretend like they know it. They're just shocked on air and they just run with it. It's so funny. Very, very cool here. Also, what's very surprising too, and recent listeners and recent fans of wrestling, uh, considering the fact that Ultimo Dragon is technically uh, from another company fighting for WCW's championship, he wins the WCW Cruiserweight Championship there. Now, Owen, were you shocked that um, that he added the Cruiserweight title essentially to the J-Crown? Um, I think yeah, I think somewhat the the um the results kind of surprised me a little bit, um, but I really enjoyed it anyway because it meant that we're going to get a little bit more uh, Ultimo for a little for a little while. But I also kind of somewhat knew that he won the title because again, me being the nerd I am, I knew that he won the title to unify the belts, but I just forgot which show it happened on and who he beat. Mm. But um, otherwise, yeah, I thought it was yeah great match, bit of a shock, yeah, bit of a kind of a a shock finish, I guess, a shock result for the um, for the first match of the card. But yeah, overall, I'm look Ultimo wins. I'm happy. It is a really good match. I'd go out of my way to um actually recommend to watch it too. It it goes for less than twenty minutes. It feels like it goes. It flies by, and that's the cool thing. That's a theme that you'll see throughout this show because it doesn't have that many matches on this card. Like it's not a 15, 16 match super show like you'd expect. I actually think there's less than 10 matches on this card, but it goes by so quickly and all of them uh, until we get to the main event, which we'll touch on when we get to it, I think stand on their own really, really well. But uh, Simon, any final thoughts about the opener? I thought it was great. Another showcase for the Cruiserweight division and Dean Malenko specifically. We're almost finding out that in 96 out of the, you know, that group of radicals, Dean Malenko was a standout. Benoit, Eddie, as good as they were, even like guys like Ray, they couldn't touch him. Malenko has the best match pretty much any time he's in there. Yeah, 100%. As you move on to our next match, this is where it gets a little bit strange because until uh, the, the sort of graphic came up saying the finals for the WCW Women's Championship, I was like, 
oh, that's right. They had a women's championship, didn't they? Because it's not really publicized, the women's division. I mean, when any, whenever you think of women in WCW, you either think of the Nitro Girls or uh, Macho Man Randy Savage with Medusa, Miss Madness, and um, um, Gorgeous George. But uh, this one was a strange one because you had Akira Hokoto versus Medusa. Immediately during her entrance, this is what sets the tone of the match that kind of really annoys me in 2021. Bobby the Brain Heenan goes, is that Dolly Parton under there? And it's just like, oh, okay, we're going to be taking this one seriously then. But uh, look, Owen, what did you think about this one? Hey, look, Akira Hokoto is one of my favorite Japanese Joshis. She's one of the all-time greats anyway. So I, again, I forgot she was, I, I didn't realize she was on this card. I popped huge for it. Um, like audibly as well. Like I was watching the show back in 96. But um, <laughs> so cool. And also Kensuke Sasaki is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. He is one of the hardest MFers there is. Um, I, if people want to watch it, go watch him versus Kenta Kabashi from Destiny 2004, where they just, there is a sequence of, 210 straight chops to each other's chest. <laughs> it's the greatest thing in professional wrestling. Um, him wearing t-shirts and jeans is just the biggest mood ever. Oh man, <laughs> dressed like probably all our dads in the mid-90s, but being the yeah. toughest guy. Scary. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was really cool. I could go on forever about how much I loved seeing those two in WCW. I was a bit upset that he didn't have a match on the card, because I would like to see him work at WCW style. <laughs> but um, because I think this was around the time where he didn't really work for anybody. From like he kind of just like floated around, and he did a bit of stuff in WCW for a couple of years, but it was just like on and off again kind of thing. Um, and then after this, I think he went back to New Japan, and he was a um, five-time IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. The thing about this match that uh, still annoys me a little bit is that uh, because women's wrestling isn't really seen. Uh, especially in WCW, because the the entire division was basically Medusa at the time. So, and when you've got a, a Southern crowd that is once again conditioned to Japan equal bad, it's like World War Two all over again. Because Medusa <laughs> comes out wearing her gear is red, white, and blue. I mean, you, you're almost a little bit distracted by the fact that no one is treating this match seriously. And Simon, you you've seen a bit of Medusa's work in WCW and really if you can tell me another woman that she was built up against as an equal as in terms of wrestling not as a valet or interference or eye candy I'd be hard-pressed to to think of anyone at the time yeah it's weird it almost feels like they wanted to build this women's division sort of Hulk Hogan style where Medusa would take on foreigners but they put Mm. in no effort they were like Medusa is American these people aren't that's it. Like there was never anything else to it. And she would either just beat them or they would cheat to beat her. Like there was never really any storylines. And honestly, the women's division vanishes soon after this. So we can't really criticize it too much because we sort of know where it goes Mm. and that's nowhere. Um, It was weird. One thing I never realized I did, maybe I I just couldn't remember, but Lee Marshall playing the role of Mike Tanay, like how Mike Tanay was the cruiser expert. Lee Marshall secret joshi mark he was like the expert on japanese women's wrestling that they rolled out but to be honest i was shocked when he first came out i thought what would he add to it he was great on commentary i really think he should have done more i I enjoyed him a lot 
Well, I don't, I don't actually, obviously, I, I never watched WCW Saturday Night back in the day, but apparently the finals of it, he was commentating with Dream. So I guess he would have seen through the ranks what happens there. But you're right too. And we're absolutely not having a go at the performers here because they are great. Mm. It's just unfortunate that it was put in 1996 where women's wrestling isn't really seen as, you know, like it is today. It's not given the same sort of kudos. It's not given the same sort of... Um, platform. It is seen as a bathroom break. I mean, and this is on, guilty on both sides. WWF actually does it even worse because you know all it's just sunny and the only time you ever see a woman on a WWF pay per view in this era is accompanying Mark Merrow or the Smoking Guns. <laughs> so exactly. So there's really not much there. Um, what did you think of the finish there, Owen, with uh, Sunny Ono taking out Medusa with the USA flag? I was gonna say I re- actually really enjoyed how um, how ringside um, Sasaki was getting really angry at um, at Sunny Ono for cheating. Like whenever Ono did something, like throughout the whole match, he did something that was a bit off. Like Sasaki would like just look at him and like berate him. He's like, "No, like that's not how we do it in this household." Because those two were a uh, shoot married in real like in real life. And the commentators so, like, mentioned he's it. He's like, "My wife don't." He's like, my wife don't cheat, man. Like, this is not how this household's run. Not anywhere. So, like, I kind of really enjoyed that. And then, like, when they were celebrating, like, when, like, Ono was celebrating, society was like, no, don't touch her. Get out of here. And they just, like, left. <laughs> their marriage, was cool. I their it. marriage led to the best bit of commentary, though, because when Lee Marshall was explaining that they are married and they share a moveset and they train each other... <laughs> Dream just yells like super loud. He's like, I bet that ain't all they share with each other. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're married. It's like, that's what? <laughs> it's so weird. Dream is in fine form in this paper. And the other thing that we should point out too, Nick Patrick uh, has some shady shenanigans. Uh, he, now, he's already pr- pledged his allegiance to the NWO. So we have to go by the logical WCW uh, way of thinking in that now, Nick Patrick is Japanese. He's helped out the <laughs> Japanese wrestler to win. So clearly he's now Japanese. But he's yeah. Also um, rocking two earrings. Like when I noticed that, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> he does look like a bad security guard at like a uh, Europe gig. But um <laughs> <laughs> but look, it, it, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting match. Akira Hokoto um, becomes the first WCW Women's Champion, uh, and I I can't actually, can't actually remember the fate of what happens in her first title defense. They defend the match on Nitro, but look, it's a cool little fact. And as you sort of said, Owen, like she's got a body of work that completely extends past this brief WCW pit stop. So uh, we'll move on to our next little segment, and these always pop me. It's the little online, hey, come on board and join us at WCWWrestling.com. But the part that's, that stood out to me is what happened to CompuServe? Didn't, weren't, didn't they have the sponsorship back in the day? Are they gone? I didn't notice it. Did they have no branding on this? It was DDP no, it was just... and some nerd, but like no branding. Did you notice that one of those nerds was Bob Ryder, the late Bob Ryder, may he rest oh, in peace? No, I didn't. I did notice yeah. Mark Madden sitting there. I didn't notice Bob Ryder, but yeah, they were in charge of that. Also, you couldn't do this in 2021, but DDP just blowing cigar smoke in that poor dude's face. Like that is a lawsuit waiting to happen now. 
It really is because because he and also on the topic of DDP, he looked like he could not. He, he was the least interested I've ever seen DDP at this time. Oh, if you saw this back in the day when you were a kid, that says jump on a WCW wrestling and you could talk to DDP that looks like he does not give an absolute hoot. Would you be thinking, got to fire up the modem now? Yeah, got to kick mum off the phone because she's talking to Dolores down the street, and I got to sign onto the internet. <laughs> Um, but no, yeah, I probably wouldn't have. I mean, I actually no, see, I would have because I'm a DDP mark, but <laughs> that's beside the point. See, little did DDP know how important the internet would become to him shilling his yoga business, though. If that was 2021 yeah, DDP, he'd kick that guy off and tell someone about <laughs> it's not yoga for guys or whatever the hell. He'd st- <laughs> he'd start doing a live class from his Georgia <laughs> yoga studio. Absolutely. <laughs> he would from the DDPY performance center. But uh, we lead on to the next highlights of uh, these WCW pay-per-views in the past 1996 or so. The mean Gene Oakland uh, pre-match uh, hype with, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Now, Owen, were you able to understand a single word Roddy Piper was talking about? <laughs> what a damn promo. That promo <laughs> was at, like, when he kind of was like, it was like coherently speaking, that was a damn good promo like holy crap i was all about it my favorite line from it was he's six foot seven 270 pounds i'm a midget that's all i needed to know about the match i'm sold what, what about him name dropping jurassic park and things like that that just made zero sense oh man he the, the painkillers he was on for that hip surgery must be doing wonders <laughs> Simon, you've mentioned numerous times that uh, Mean Gene is the one that's sort of the glue that keeps things together here. Do you reckon he could ke- he kept uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper on any semblance of coherence? Oh, you cannot keep 80s and 90s Roddy Piper together, even with Mean Gene there. I love this promo too, though. Like, whatever he was on or whatever gets him motivated to do these promos, can we please ship that to every wrestler in the modern world? I know things are different. You can't just start rambling like Roddy Piper. But my God, yeah, like weird pop culture references. Just weird, like him hopping on his foot to show that his hip's fine. Just talking about Rosie O'Donnell's bra and turning it into a yarmulke for Hulk Hogan. Like, who cares what he's saying? It's how he says it. It's all awesome. And you're like, yeah, go get him, Piper. Did you notice, though, the reason he cut the interview short, though, was when Mean Gene asked him, well, how is the hip? And yeah. he's like, oh, and I'm answering that one. And he walks off. Yeah. No, he skips away. Yeah, he starts he dancing off. on one foot. <laughs> it's such an odd, odd promo. But yeah, like you said, whatever Roddy was on at the time, um, I'm, I'm sure it was right through that locker room. <laughs> but uh, look, <laughs> we'll get to our next match. Juice in Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio. This actually on is the first time these guys have actually clashed. Can yes. you believe it? <laughs> actually, I, I've watched this match. I, this is like my bedtime story. I watch this match like every single night. I love this match so much. Um, I have so many notes about this match and factoids. Um, also, quickly, you know how the first episode of this show I was on, I had a signed... Um, Ultimate Dragon Mask. Since mm-hmm. then, I've purchased a ring-worn Jusha Thunder Liger mask. So <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was coming. I'm working my way through the WCW Mask Cruiserweight division. So maybe next time I might have, I may have a Ray or a Hoovy. Who knows? No, no, you don't stop until you get a Cyclo Pay one. That's what we <laughs> want to see. 
But um, so this match was only four months after Liger had a, had surgery to get a brain tumor removed. Wow! And he still wrestled one of the best matches on the card. Stiff too, very stiff. Oh yeah, he was taking headshots like an absolute mother trucker. <laughs> And and the thing is too, like Ray Mysterio's already got, as you mentioned, Simon, like he's the face of the cruiser vision in modern eyes because that's the narrative that goes behind it. But you forget that Liger is also someone that was also a big staple of uh, the cruiserweights back in the day. Well, yeah, sort of Liger predates the cruiserweight division. Him and you know Brian Pillman sort of kicked things off with the light heavyweight division, sort of in the mid '90s. And I think it was Liger and Pillman on the first ever Nitro as well. Uh, they wrestled. So Liger's been there. He's like the OG of this style of wrestling in WCW. This match is so good, I barely have any notes because I sat there and watched it. And I was like, oh no, I forgot all the dumb things the commentators were probably saying. Yeah. <laughs> but to be honest, what a dream card of Cruiserweight matches on one show. You have arguably maybe the four best ever, Malenko, Ray, Liger, and Dragon. Or to me anyway, like if I'm thinking Cruiserweights, they're the four best. And you had them all here. It's awesome. I mean, you've got one of the greatest wrestlers of all time being Liger, so I, I 100% agree. Um, I'm the same. I don't have many notes on the match because I was just so excited. Even though I know what happens in this match, as I said, I watch it so often. Um, but the best thing that happened in this match was that Heenan and Shivani couldn't get it, just were laughing for like five and a half minutes because Dream couldn't say Dragon Screw Leg Whip. Oh yeah, it's here again. And they just started giggling like schoolgirls for about three to five minutes, and it was so funny. And they just could, and they just kept like prodding him about it. And every time that, like, every time Liger would do it, they're like, "Oh, what move was that?" Dream. He like just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> I also don't have that many. In fact, if you look at my notes, it starts off with first time for the two and then finishes with Liger Bomb gets the win. Um, because oh, yeah. The is... Liger Bomb, they hit that, the Liger Bomb on Mysterio's skull and nothing but. He took it all on the, on, on the crown of his head. It was huge. But, and uh, as we've um, seen with these WCW crowds, though, there's nothing they like more than a power bomb. Like, they popped huge mm. for it. If you do a power bomb to a 96... WCW crowd. It's like the move of the night. They love it. Yeah. Now, that or a moonsault to the outside. <laughs> yeah, that's, like their, that. that's their, that's their beast to honey. It's when, when, um, anytime you put, if you could do a moonsault that somehow gets reversed into a power bomb outside, <laughs> the building will explode. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been it. Actually, what was funny about this match, like, you know, in the first match, how you were saying they sort of burnt the card on in the first match, Dragon, of course, does the Asai moonsault, which is like his move. It's his name. He invented it. In this yes. match, Ray tops him because Ray does the version where he does it from the top rope. He got yes. so much hide on this. It was crazy. It was so cool. Um, I must say, though, and this, obviously this happened throughout the entire show, but this is the first time I picked up on it. I was about halfway through the match because I paused it. I paused it. Again, I've watched this match so many times. First time I've ever noticed it there's a guy in the crowd he's on hard cam side he's probably about three or four rows from the top of the frame and he's wearing he is in full sting outfit doesn't move he sits there for the entire show <laughs> stone cold doesn't pop doesn't clap doesn't do anything just sits there the entire show full sting face paint and get up and just on my eyes want him the entire time to be honest 
Oh, was he a red herring? Maybe. Maybe they wanted you to think, is that a fan or is that Sting? So when the real Sting comes, you don't know. I didn't even I thought it. so too. Yeah. And I, I, as I said, I've watched this match countless times. I never noticed it until the other day when I watched this. So as, as we mentioned, um, Liger gets the win. He then will be facing Ultimo Dragon at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, and I got to say, this is a peak WCW Cruiserweight match. This is what sort of gets everyone in. And I'm pretty sure that if you said at the start of Starcade that WCW, because they, they did, Heenan kind of brings this up, but it's never actually explicitly billed as WCW versus anyone else, except for Hogan versus Piper, because he goes, oh, that's it. Another loss for WCW versus Japan. So it's really odd. Well, it's weird. We, I guess we got three matches in a row with that story. What a weird start to the pay-per-view, really, actually, when you think about it. Oh, um, I, I had a note for the other match and I completely forgot. Um, and I got really angry about it. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was during the women's match when Hokotu won the championship. Um, it was during the match and Heenan was like, if Hokotu um, wins, New Japan will have two of our titles. Wrong. There's no women's division in, in New Japan. So I got really like hated about that. I'm like, well, that's not a thing. You're well, a liar. Thankfully, there was no Twitter back then for everyone to get angry about <laughs> these. Oh, he, he would have got flamed. He would have yeah. got like fired. He would have got like just obliterated on Twitter. Going from those three absolute classic matches, which you got to say, it's a really great way to start off the pay-per-view. We then get into uh, the sort of how do I put it? The WCW portion where they lift, um, they do all the heavy lifting and what better way to kick it all off than with a Jeff Jarrett match. Um, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett takes on Chris Benoit. Now this is a very, very strange match for those that can't remember. Jeff Jarrett is on the fringe of being in the horseman. He's got the big thumbs up from Ric Flair, but only Ric Flair. He's not officially part of the horseman. Chris Benoit looks about as thrilled as everyone else on the planet. Uh, <laughs> at the prospect of Jeff Jarrett being in the Four Horsemen. And first off, we'll start it off with uh, the fact that it's Chris Benoit and woman, which means Dusty Rhodes is back with his devilish woman calls. But uh, an odd one to follow up. Not a bad match by any means, but it was still, it's a weird storyline and I can see what they were trying to do, but Jeff Jarrett's not the man to pair with Chris Benoit if you want to have a good match after three good ones. Owen, what were your thoughts? Um, Benoit, huge popsky. Mm. The pop for Benoit when he when his music hit was monstrous. Um, Jeff Jarrett's hair is everything I want mine to be. <laughs> it is honestly a beautiful head of hair. I've never understood his ring gear though. It's very odd. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. It, it, it's it's a strange match because it's it's clearly it's not one that's meant to further anything in the ring. It's clearly trying to show some descent in the horsemen. And Simon, you've been watching some of the nitros too. Do they actually follow up? Uh, like, do they sow the seeds of you know? There's dissension in the horsemen. Jeff Jarrett's the unlike. Like Flair wants him in. Other people want him in because we see Arn Anderson get involved a little bit later on. But is it is it ticking the boxes here in terms of the full context? It's such a confusing angle. I still don't even fully understand it or remember where it ends, and I've lived through it twice now. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think Jeff Jarrett like bounces out of WCW before they ever really wrap it up because no one jumped between the two companies more than Jarrett. He's gone yeah. in 97 in some point back to the Fed. So 
I have no idea how this ends or what that was. I still don't know. Were we legitimately meant to like Jeff Jarrett because he had Ric Flair's endorsement? Or was this some like post kayfabe, post face and heel, ironic face turn and we're really meant to hate him? Because he plays it so straight. But I'm like, did you really think we would cheer Jeff Jarrett like this Mm. Jeff Jarrett? I still don't get it. I still think Jarrett is a good wrestler. He's like the goodest wrestler ever. He's not amazing. He's definitely not bad. He's just like the best okay guy and you can have a good match with him. This match was fine. The shenanigans at the end were all you'd remember because it was insane. Yeah. That, and that's pretty much all I do remember because Arn Anderson comes out. He walks past Chris Benoit, which they make a very big deal. And he's allegedly in the corner of Jeff Jarrett throughout this entire match, which I find amusing because he's wearing a Four Horsemen t-shirt that's clearly got a, a picture of Chris Benoit on it. So that's so strange. Um, and then also we see the Dungeon of Doom come out briefly and try to kidnap women. Uh, try to kidnap, sorry, try to kidnap women. Well, written my notes uh, as women, but which sounds even weirder because Conan and Hugh Morris coming out <laughs> to do that is strange. But anyway, yeah, so they try to kidnap woman until she kicks Hugh Morris, and I quote, in the vitals, which means she <laughs> kicks him in the nuts. <laughs> and, and Dusty must be really pleased that they said vitals there because he says vitals about six times. But when it descends into the shenanigans portion of it, it gets so confusing. Oh, and we've just seen three great matches with clear, decisive finishes, even with some interference in terms of the women's match. But this, how muddled, how, what is going on here? Which, who do I look at? Were you during this match? I literally just wrote shenanigans on my um, notes <laughs> because there was too much to uh, get a handle of. Um, I, there is two things I just wanted to bring up just quickly. Um, there was about three minutes in the middle of a match where Benoit showed how good of a heel he was by just sucking the life out of the match, but it wasn't boring. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. But also, going back to what we just talked about, the shenanigans, in this match, Arn Anderson was 38 years old, but he looked about 55. And it was the best. <laughs> and that's why we love Arn Anderson. The passage of time when you watch these shows back make no sense. You're like, how is that dude 38? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Somehow, but yet the thing is, Arn Anderson appears to like. There's t- essentially there's three segments of Arn Anderson live. In in my opinion, there's the bit where he's a tag team with Ollie in um in the NWA. Then there's that big chunk where he just seems to be 55 for the entire time, and then he's Cody's coach in AEW. <laughs> <laughs> like that's basically Arn Anderson in a nutshell. Can we give a shout out to Kevin Sullivan? Because wooden chairs are about, you know, like mainly they don't look good. This is the wooden chair shot of the century. Because, <laughs> geez, it explodes on Benoit's head. <laughs> and, and I think if Brain even says, all that's left of that is kindling. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> But yeah, so there's synchronized interference here. Arn Anderson takes out Jeff Jarrett the same time that Kevin Sullivan takes out Benoit. So you got to get to a weird wide shot where you can't see either of the things happening. And then all of a sudden, Jarrett gets the win, which makes you go, huh? That's just so strange. And then uh, Jarrett leaves and Arn Anderson starts yelling at woman. It's very odd. It's not bad by any means, but it's just really strange. And then it leads to the post-match where 
if anyone's going to sort this out, it's mean Gene Oakland. And he comes out for a little interview segment and just gets absolute donuts from everyone concerned here. And first off, ignoring the fact that um, that Mean Gene's mic doesn't work. Such a schmoz. Absolutely a schmoz. And, oh, and oh, sorry, Simon, we've championed Mean Gene so much. And he really does make this segment because just the outrage that he has, that no one wants to talk to him is great. That's what he. That's what he does to Mean Gene. This is all real, and like he plays it so straight. And he's just there. He's like, "Oh, why don't you talk to me?" And he just wants to do his job as a journalist and get to the bottom of the scoop, but never annoying. Like he's, you know, you you love Mean Gene regardless of what he's doing, but poor guy is stuck with Mongo and Deborah. They're the ones who come out <laughs> to give their two cents. And like you said, the mic wasn't working, so we've got classic WCW production snafus. And then we've got Deborah on the mic, and it's almost like, oh, now I remember why Deborah didn't talk in the WWE. She just stood there and unbuttoned mm. her shirt because, geez, talking wasn't her strong suit. This was a brutal promo. Did you happen to notice the bit where Mean Gene gets really outraged and does the cover the mic? That's how dare you say that? We're in a live program when because she, she says that woman has been rode hard and put away wet. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? It sounds really dirty. <laughs> I looked it up. It, it's not dirty. It just sounds it. It's an old Southern expression for when you've ridden a horse and you haven't dried it off and it's still sweaty. But it sounds yeah. gross. And I'm going to start That's... using it and be an old Southern lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Owen, did you pick up how uh, Deborah might have been foreshadowing her partnership with uh, Jeff Jarrett in the WWF? Because she happens to think that Jeff Jarrett's the greatest thing since sliced bread in that post match. I did say that, yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, lo- I do love how Gene got, he was getting like shoot hot about it. You can tell he was like, no, no, this is not what we went over. This is not what I wrote. <laughs> You guys are ruining mo- it's, it is me time. This is gene time. And you ruin gene time. Because <laughs> he's really indignant about it. And the best part about this is Mongo is just hamming it up to the camera and he's trying to do the little loser L, but he's doing it backwards. So it's <laughs> like and I'm just like, oh, if there's anything that sums up Mongo so much. It's the fact that he can't do the L to camera. He does it the wrong way. But look, it then leads us to our next match for the WCW Tag Team Championship. It's Hall and Nash versus the Faces of Fear. Now, Hall and Nash come out with six. Uh, Six is pioneering what is now known as the Sean Waltman trademark of bandana, denim jacket, and jeans that are just a bit too tight. But um, what's, what's more hilarious to me is at the start, there is a, like what looks to be like a Knoxville housewife there with an N, with a handwritten NWO for life. She's like, yeah, go NWO. <laughs> like when you saw that uh, Holland Nash attacking on the faces of fear, Owen, what did you think? Were you thinking, oh boy, I'm in for a work rate classic here. Oh no, I was, I was so excited because I knew what I was going to get and I got it. This was classic heavyweight tag team wrestling. This was chops and lariats and nothing else and it's as listeners would be cottoning on to when i come on this show it's what i'm all about i'm into big boy wrestling and this is exactly what and the other thing too is the good thing about it was that hall and nash are actually there they've got their 
we're here to we're here to fight. We're here to work. Actually, like because we saw in their match against the Nasty Boys, they just look like oh no, this isn't good. But up against the Faces of Fear, they actually had. And you forget that like, hang on, Nash can string a match together, and Scott Hall is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, the early run of the Outsiders, like them as a traditional tag team, the Outsiders were awesome. Like as we've seen, virtually every match they're in, you know, barring working with the Nasty Boys, but that was for for different reasons. Every match is generally pretty damn good and the crowd's invested and it's full of action. Like this was another standout match, I thought, for the Outsiders. Uh, Nims, you noticed the ladies' homemade sign. There were two other great shots of signs in this match too. One of them said, welcome to Hall and Nashville because they were in Nashville. I did see that. Well, that was was clever. And then another one, uh, I'll try and describe it. It said Hogan and the NWO and it had NWO in quotes are just rejects from the, again, in quotes, WWF. It was like, I don't think both of those things needed to be in quotes. And that was on camera for so long as well. It was like, okay, we we saw it. We can, we get it. But (laughs) the thing that I love You've got a new world order. Where do you come from? The World Wrestling Federation. It was just weird. (laughs) The one thing that I did, I was actually quite surprised at too, was this is one of the few times where you'll see the faces of fear in the good guy role. Like they're like Megan Barbarian are they're, they're, they're always been portrayed as just, you know, take them off the chain and wild animals kind of thing. But they're actually the ones that we're meant to get behind, but they just can't get the support because Hall and Nash are so cool. Hmm. They both sort of ended up working tweener in this match though, as a result, but it worked. It was just, hmm. Four guys barely selling and just beating the crap out of each other. Like, it was really good. And did you see they did the um, spit spot again where Scott yeah. Hall spat on one of the dudes and then quickly tags out to Nash? Like, that's really good. I always love... Uh, it, 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 I think it evolved a little bit later on because Hall would then point to Nash and then do the big guy sort of thing, which was really, really cool. But uh, in terms of the finish, what did you think of uh, that one, Owen, especially considering the fact that it always seems to be Nash that puts the exclamation point on things as Hall is distracting someone outside? One of my notes for the finish is, now I get Nick Patrick and I like it. Because <laughs> remember when our first came on the show in Hogwild and I wasn't I thought it was all garbage what happened I'm a big fan of it now I understand and I'm all for it yeah you thought he was a bad ref you didn't realize he was a bad ref like a bad yeah, guy he ref a, he was a bad he was a bad, bad boy. ref yeah <laughs> bad boy as noted by his goatee and double earrings now you know yes. it's obvious <laughs> Yes, because uh, in 1996 WCW, being a cosplayer as a Wham member is uh, is what yeah it's, is what it's makes Kenny you a bad guy. Dressed as George Michael, that's where we land with Nick Patrick. <laughs> Look, this was actually a really good match in terms of uh, Hall and Nash. They've still got their working boots on. Early 90, uh, late 96, early 97. Um, run of the nwo you still have a fair bit of work right in there because six was still before the injury so he could still go he's still in that one two three kid sort of phase um plus hall and nash do their their chemistry together is so great and it's mainly hogan just stinking it up in the main events but speaking of hogan we get to our next little pre-tape uh segment which is dbrc vincent liz and hogan doing a promo now this hogan promo 
is absolutely fantastic. Let's put them side by side here. Owen, you loved the Piper one. What did you think of the Hogan on it where he's talking about making Piper's kids cry and calling him the man with the crinkled skirt? As leathery as ever. He looked beautiful, Brown. I was all about it. Um, there was one questionable word in that amazing pro, one questionable line in that amazing promo he did was how much of he's like, how much of a woman is is he really underneath that skirt? I'm like, I know it was a different time. Still, no, no, yeah. just no. But no, amazing promo. He's one of the best promos of all time for a reason. Um, and yeah, it was awesome. I was so, and as I said, he was just looking beautiful and tanned. Just how I like my Terry to be. <laughs> I love what do you think the, of the uh, I was gonna say, I love like the two sides of the same coin, Piper and Hogan are because Piper is like straight up crazy for real, sounds like he's not trying. That's just him talking and rambling. Whereas Hogan. It feels more phony, but in a good way. Like it's very stagey and he's this over-the-top villain from like a 60s movie. Like Hollywood Hulk mm. Hogan is hilarious. And I loved it. Two great lines. For some reason, Hulk Hogan had to drop in like brand names into his insults. He said all six of his kids are going to be crying into their Campbell's soup. And then he said, yep. I saw one of his crummy kids trying to bum a quarter and buy a Coke. Like Hollywood <laughs> Hogan is branded insults. I like it. You know that uh, when he's gone back to the locker room, there is a pallet of Campbell's soup <laughs> and, uh, and and one of those 30-pan blocks of Coca-Cola just at his dressing room door waiting for him. But uh, that leads us to our next match, uh, which is a surprising sleeper. This one's for the United States Championship now. Um, bit of backstory here. Ric Flair was the original winner, and we saw that at... Uh, I can't remember which pay-per-view that was, but it was. it is covered on Reliving the Wall. You'll just have to go back and listen to all of them <laughs> to find out. <laughs> but then the Giant steals the belt, and now this is for the vacant WCW World uh, United States Championship. Now, this is actually... We've been talking about the evolution of DDP here, and as you mentioned, Owen, you love... just You're just a mark for DDP. What have you thought about... Do you reckon the that DDP... DDP do you reckon that DDP is in his final form right now, or does he still have a bit of work before we get to the people's champ of WCW? We are centimeters away from it. This is like super close to like the DDP that everybody knows and loves. Like he's so close, and it was so awesome. He's in, like, yeah, I was so about this match. Is uh, again similar to Simon with the um the cruisers match. I was so into this match. I didn't write notes. Mm. And the thing that uh, it's funny you mentioned that uh, we're centimeters away because I put DDP is about 99% the DDP we know and love in my notes. Uh, I've also done it much here because this was a really great match. We sort of, and Eddie Guerrero actually getting a fair amount of cheers to against DDP. This is really a match where there is no clear, like the momentum goes back and forth between the guys. Um, unfortunately, there is some NWO shenanigans that are involved. And Simon, you've watched a few Nitros, so you can provide a bit of backstory on why the NWO has a bit of beef with DDP here. Yeah, this was following one of the all-time great Nitro moments where the NWO were trying to recruit DDP. They come out, they've been trying to court him. Iconic scene. They want to give him the NWO shirt. Hall and Nash turn their back. DDP does that awesome diamond cutter where he's holding Hall's hand pulls him into the diamond cutter. Nash turns around. He's like, oh my God, what happened? DDP runs through the crowd, 
And it's like the first time DDP went into the crowd, which would eventually become his entrance. So yeah, we are so close to all of the pieces coming together for DDP. He still sort of acts like a heel in this match. He's not fully a face. He's not touching his hands every time for the diamond cutter taunt. Again, he's centimeters close to being the fully formed DDP. He's got to quit smoking first. That's a big part of it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the cigars are such a weird thing when you watch it in 2021 eddie though does hold his own i feel he's he's definitely getting a bit of a time this in the sun here because he's breaking out a little bit from the cruiserweight mold and you don't often think of when you think of the classic eddie guerrero matches people often mention you know his ecw work his stuff in WWE, like his brock lesnar matches you never once hear someone say oh you got to check out eddie's match with ddp and owen being a fan of both of those guys how do you sort of rate this match well i feel like they both bring out the best in each other um simon and i've talked about it a couple times prior one of the like if the best if not like one of the best if not the best diamond cutter comes from an eddie and DDP match. It's not this one, but it's when um uh DDP turns a Rana. Um Eddie goes up for a Rana and DDP turns it into a diamond cutter. Mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest reversals of all time. Yeah. Um so this match, yeah, they just bought the best out of each other no, no matter when they wrestled. And I think it was, yeah, it's a very underrated combination in wrestling. Yeah, these um, two yeah, together said, is almost like a look into the future of the in-ring style of wrestling, though. DDP was yeah. really innovative with the weird slams and power bombs he would do. And of course, Eddie, that high flying style. Like, this is a really modern match for 96. Yeah, totally. And it is, of course, ruined by a few NWO shenanigans towards the end. Oh, Eddie gets the win and becomes the new United States champion, which is, uh, there's two things in that that I took out from it. One, the fact that um, Eddie essentially gets their secondary title. Like, he's seen as good enough to be, you know, one rung below the world heavyweight champion and above all the cruiserweights, which is fantastic. Mm. And the other thing, he holds his own against the NWO beatdown. It's eventually when the numbers game finally stacks up against him and he's getting a monstrous pop when he's fighting off the NWO. Like it starts off with six and then they say, mate, wait till you get up to the guys that are bigger than you. Oh no, hang on. You seem to be doing fine. When you actually see, and we'll go with you on here, when you see him like fighting off guys like Hall and Nash, who are very visibly bigger than him, how cool is that? Especially '96 WCW. So awesome, so cool. The crowd loved it. I loved it. It was a cool little spot to like toward the finish of the match. I thought it was really awesome. Um, I did pop for Six's T-shirt with the billiard ball on the back. The billiard ball. Yeah. Big fan. They released that one. That's an awesome shirt. It's one of the best NWO shirts. It's 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 also very iconic too because it was made into that weird little poncho thing that Nash used to always wear. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure that was one of his alternate attires in um, <laughs> WWE NWO Revenge. That's how good it was. <laughs> but yeah, Eddie gets the beatdown, and then we get into one of the most questionable things of all WCW, not just 1996 WCW, the immense popularity of Lex Luger as what? he takes on the giant. Before we get there, I think Heenan dropped the line of the night in the DDP and Eddie match. At one point when Eddie was firing up near the end, he hits an uppercut on DDP 
and he says if his boots weren't tied, he'd be out of them. It's just a great old school wrestling line. The commentators <laughs> love it. Dream asks him to repeat it. He's like, what did you say about his boots? But yeah, if his boots weren't tied, he'd be out of them. That's awesome. That is very cool. I, I, did, I did pick that one up after that one as well. Uh, yeah, as we as I said, we get to our Luger match versus the Giant. We we st- we've rewatched it. We lived it. We still don't know. Oh, and give us some new eyes. What is it about Lex Luger that you can see eh, objectionably? Ah, uh, this is why he's popular. Can you explain? We're even coming with a theory why people love him so much. You're asking someone who doesn't know. Every time I've been on this show, I've said, I don't know why Luger is over. I don't understand it. Until now. I think I'm a Lex Luger fan, boys. I think I've crossed the bridge. Yes. I think think I'm on the Luger Express. (laughs) I think I've done it. But yeah, Luger gets This match is amazing. He gets a massive pop. Now here's the thing. This is this is very much the you know, man. Luger's not a he's not a small dude. It's just the fact that the giant is such a big imposing character. But like, and you want to talk about Lex Luger? Lex Luger must have dipped himself in oil. These guys look like two old school Hasbro figures just like <laughs> battling it out in the little plastic ring. That's how like it's such a weird match. But at the same time, the crowd is so invested. They're plodding around. This is. As you said, Owen, this is like the blueprint for big man matches. This is, yeah, as you said, Luger is so beautifully shiny. He's just like when you put turtle wax on your Mustang, he is beautifully <laughs> shiny. He looks great. It's like if you like, if you, if you touched him, you'd slide off into the next suburb. Um, yeah, but I liked how the commentators were hyping up the fact that Luger got, like, he can get him on the shoulder, he can get Giant on his shoulders, he can do it. And because it happened in the the cluster that was the World War Three match. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like they, and then Giant's drop kick is just the most <laughs> insane thing I've seen. Yeah. That one, one legged drop kick he did that looked like he just had this weird attack and then just jumped up in the air. Um, the ref selling Luger strikes. I, I didn't. I didn't catch who ref this match, but the ref selling Luger strikes is the most oversell thing I've ever seen. Every time Luger would strike, he would jump in the air like this and jump like that. And obviously, <laughs> I'm acting something out on, a, on an audio medium, so our <laughs> listeners won't know what I'm saying. You two do. He would like mirror and like mime what would happen, and it was the best thing ever. I was watching the ref more than I was watching the match at one point. Well, look, it's as you said, it's uh, it's one of those pantomime things that WCW used to always do. Uh, Simon, on the on the topic of um, the referees, our good mate Nick Patrick is really peaking Nick Patrick here uh, because when Luger does the little chicken thing, you know that that he just loves to do to set up the torture rack, gets gets some um, giant in the rack, and Nick Patrick literally kicks him in the back of the knee. <laughs> I'll be honest, to interfere with the finish. When I saw that happen, I, I just thought the match ends with the torture act because the crowd was mm. ready for it. That's what we've been hyping. I was hyped for it. When I saw him kick the leg, I thought, oh, bloody WCW, you've ruined it. Now the crowd's going to be flat for however this ends. I was wrong. This is one time where WCW shenanigans work. We get the leg kick from Nick Patrick and it doesn't end there. 
because then we get Sting coming out. He's, you know, like doing the thing with the bat. He does that awesome Sting thing where he whispers in their ear in each yeah. corner. And I'm talking like he's he's essentially aggressively grabs the hair and just like sticks his face in his ear and like whispers something with the commentators going, I oh, know what he's saying. Heenan so cool. is still convinced. Heenan is still convinced that he's part of the NWO because he's wearing black and white. But and he's, he's got a baseball to... bat. And, and another yeah. fun thing too, I kind of forgot until I was an adult and it made more sense. Sting using the baseball bat was another red herring and like a, a, a to throw you off. Is he with the NWO? We all think Sting baseball bat, but NWO used baseball bats first to invade WCW. So him mm-hmm. using that was another awesome touch to sort of confuse you whose side is he on. The whole early Sting thing is amazing. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah. And it was the most monstrous pop for that finish. It was the most monstrous finish anyway, but the pop, the crowd was so hot for that finish. The, that five minute stretch, like from, from the Nick Patrick and then Sting coming out, mm. the crowd, the, the speakers on my TV were distorting. <laughs> mm. Like it was so loud. It was amazing. I was so into it. When, the when, to- when they walk up to the baseball bat, which Sting left in the middle of the ring, like they both crawl to it giant steps on it luger's crouched down like he can't pick it up when luger hits that low blow the crowd goes crazy and then he hits him just simply with three different bat shots the pop mm. is louder for each one and then the <laughs> yeah. last one which he led the country giant with and they're it, the building is everyone is just going insane Tony Schiavone on commentary as well is just like, you know, like, and that's a first, and like, that's what, that's, he, he's got all these baseball terms that I don't quite get, but he, <laughs> when he hits that final, like, you know, like, oh, it's the first down, and he's hit it in the stand, that's a home run with the last time he smacked it with the baseball bat, and you're right, each one is better than the rest, until Louie gets the pin, and it's quite an impressive sight, and kudos to Paul White here, because I have seen it also done in WC, in WWE as well. He knows how to position himself where he's where his leg looks the biggest because it literally <laughs> looks like when when Luger goes to hook the leg, it looks like he's lifting a tree trunk. It is <laughs> mental. It is so crazy. And man, what about Luger celebrating? We've noticed this on the early WCW shows. Lex Luger walks out and he gives high fives like he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to touch. <laughs> ordinary people he's just going through he's like i don't know why you like me but i'll give you a high five luger at the end of this match is loving the high fives like i've never mm. seen lex luger more into touching people's hands in my lives like he's all for it <laughs> he's jumping up and down and let's just like to put a bow on lex luger's 96 as we wrap it up this guy came from the wwf at the bottom of his career like his run there couldn't have gone worse it's basically no. a joke still. Like Lex Luger's WWE run is a punchline. He went to WCW, sort of just whatever. We'll see what happens. And look how he ends it. He he gets even more over in 97 somehow too. It's crazy. That's an underrated comeback in wrestling. Lex Luger's 96. And he still rides that out. I mean, uh, we t- we're talking to like the Lex Express in WWF has really crushed and burned. Uh, was it this? It was around this time too that he started teaming with the Bulldog as the Allied Powers, and really yeah. just you're right. In fact, his debut in WCW in '95, where he's coming out in that mall, you probably think, all right, that's the peak of it. 
But no, you're right. He goes on to be such a player that he rides through until 2000 because we still see him. He's still a big player as the total package. He's still a huge player as totally buff. And he is like, yeah, you're right. It's such a uh, renaissance. But so far, the granddaddy of them all has lived up to the hype. And the cool thing as well is constantly throughout the night, we up build towards Hogan versus Piper as the main event. Now, here's something that isn't really billed too much. This is a non-title match. So just keep that in mind for the time being because in the entire duration of the build-up, do they ever mention that it's a non-title match? I don't think they do. No. Like, but, either, but either way, they still build it as a very, very big match, which is a shame. But Michael Buffer actually looks like he's actually done some prep. He's not reading it off a card. He looks <laughs> like he's into it. But what do you think about, uh, first off, the choice of entourage that Hogan comes out with? Because there's no Hall of Nash. It's just not quite the B team, but he comes out with Vincent, uh, Miss Elizabeth, and also comes out with, uh, with trillionaire Ted DiBiase there. And then Ruddy Piper comes out with Michael Buffer reading the accolades as they come to the ring. Now, Oh, and that's that was a very WCW thing to do. Like, you know, like, you know, like he washes his car every Sunday. He comes in. In fact, one of the most bizarre ones that I've written down is Roddy Piper is actually announced too. He is a US citizen. Like, how did that entrance start off the match for you in terms of like, did you get a big match feel so far? The, uh, I, the big match feel came from the crowd because the crowd was so hot for it. But um, my first note actually is Elizabeth looks so awkward and lost. She doesn't want to be there. She looks like she's just there for the paycheck. And yeah, and then Buffer's intro of Piper is just hilarious. I don't know why they had to point out that he's a US citizen. Maybe it's because, I don't know, was he there on a green card that uh, maybe perhaps <laughs> was coming up for renewal at some point? He in was time, born look- in Canada. Come on. <laughs> But yeah, so it definitely is a big match field. The crowd is just ultimate here. It is just crazy. And as always, have you found, Simon, when we've been watching these pay-per-views, there's a real formula to the Hogan main event. They're almost like the inverse of Hogan's sort of, you know, formula of when he was a good guy, but it's reversed. It's very weird. He's like this over-the-top sort of, you know, chicken... S word heel and he just runs away, but it's very cartoony. It's very fun. Um, He's always, he's always playing to the crowd as well. Like it's just like, you know, the turn of the head. It's the opposite as he would always play to the crowd as a face. He does it as a heel, but it works. He's a master of wrestling psychology. I think like, if you don't want to give Hogan any credit, I think you're wrong. Like, yeah, maybe athletically he's not doing moonsaults or whatever, but in every other part of being a wrestler he's like the best at it when it comes to working a crowd plus the other thing too he's doing nothing and having them eat out of the palm of his hand like Mm. just him tiptoeing around the ring (laughs) when he steps out of the ring everything like that and roddy piper is just so fantastic never has a man got the most perfect i give absolute zero f's about what's happening around me than roddy piper and first off like the, the other part that I loved was that Roddy Piper, he somehow is also equally as sweaty as Hulk Hogan is from very little ring work being done. Like, what's the go there? 
Piper is very sweaty. He looks like he's been road hard and let out wet or whatever that expression <laughs> is. He is covered in sweat. <laughs> Heenan with a, the biggest, not the best line, but the biggest lie of the night. And I love Roddy Piper. He looked fine. But he said Piper looks to be in the best shape of his career. No, he doesn't. He looks okay, <laughs> but he doesn't look the best shape of his career. Taking so from- it with... Taking it back to a similar um, factoid of my Arn Anderson age, Hogan was 43 and Piper was 42 in this match. Piper was 42? Jesus Christ. Piper crazy. was 42. Is, what, born in 1942, do you mean? <laughs> 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 well, look, here's the, here's the thing. Like, when we talk about Lex Luger on the outs, so clearly the WWF at the time, at the time when around this neck of the woods saw Piper as right. He's done because I think after basically 1994, there was really nothing for Piper there. Was there like, there was maybe the, it does like, the backlot brawl at WrestleMania 12, but that was yeah, it. But, but, but that's not really like, it's not, it's, it's seen as a match to go back, but it's definitely not a classic. Like, so really there's, he's, he's discarded goods. Like Vince has gone, right. Oh pal, you're in the trash now. <laughs> so he's done and dusted, but he has got them eating out of his hands here as well. Like it's a real clash of the Titans and sure they're building off their WrestleMania history. And the fact that Hogan has never pinned uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and beaten him. But what did you actually think about Piper? Because you've seen all the talk on and obviously Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. But Rowdy Roddy Piper doesn't quite get that same level of respect that Hogan does, at least not from wrestling fans when it comes to, oh, you got to watch Piper. Like, you got to see Piper versus such and such. You, like, you got to watch. It's all about his promo skills. It's never really about his in-ring work. Yeah. Um, my question to you guys is, is like, how, because obviously me not being barely alive at this point, um, how long out of wrestling, like, between WWF and WCW was Piper? Like, when was he last, like, active before this? Just a few months. April at WrestleMania 12. He has the match with Goldust. But before that, he wasn't really active. He'd have, like, oh, one or that, two that, matches was a year. That the, was, that the, was, that, was that the parking lot match where he gets run yeah. over by a car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Essentially, the OJ Simpson dig, where, because yeah. that's all it, that's all it's, it's just a pop culture. Uh, like, it's the earliest cinematic match because I guess they, no one had any faith that they could have uh, a ma- and it's mainly remembered for the backlot brawl and Rowdy Roddy Piper stripping Goldust and him having bra and panties on uh, when he takes his clothes off. It's weird. It's like yeah. that's what he's coming from going into a main event against Hulk Hogan at their biggest pay per view. So, so it's actually quite it's remarkable when you think about it. Like he's gone from a mid card slot on the WWF's biggest show to the main event of WCW's <laughs> biggest show in the span of about seven months. Yeah. I was going to say he was kind of treated like in that last run, I guess is kind of like a joke to an extent, a jokey old man. Yeah. And then he gets thrust into the main event slot. And I thought that I, I thought the match was really good. Actually. I thought it was fine for what it was. It was just, it was just a straight up brawl. There wasn't a lot of wrestling going on. It was very just strikes and shenanigans and stuff like that. But I thought it was actually really good. I didn't mind it. It's it's entertaining. I don't think it's as good as the Macho Hogan match that we saw at uh, Halloween Havoc, but it's still fun. Mm. 
What did you think of the the focus on the hip where they actually sort of zoom in like WWF Royal Rumble on CM Punk style uh, at Piper's hip to the camera work? Like, see, the hip's fine. Look at the yeah. scar. It's fine. I did enjoy that. Um, there was one spot I really liked. Um, it was Hogan was trying to push Piper out of the headlock and, and like feed him into the ropes. And Piper kept digging his heels in so it didn't happen. And that went for like 30 or so seconds. And I'm like, that's super old school wrestling. He just kept like digging in and digging in and wouldn't like let it happen. And I thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed that spot. There was another spot that I also enjoyed where, um, where Piper spits on Hogan. And he's standing so like, they're probably like a good, you know, maybe a foot and a bit, uh, like, you know, uh, 1.5 meters away from each other. And you can so see like just the loogie because it's like a spray of spit. It's almost like, a, like, it's so strange. And especially now in like a post COVID world, you're like, oh, but no. But then we get to the shenanigans, the NWO uh, in terms of the giant comes out, he interferes and gets bitten by Piper. Like Simon, you can really tell like, the giant is really, really the fall guy here for the NWO at the moment. Yeah, it's weird that they set him up to be the guy who just blows it. Like, he can't get anything right. And Roddy Piper doesn't, you know, beat him up. Like you said, he bites him. But that's sort of Roddy Piper. Like, he, he does, like, three stooges eye pokes and, you mm. know, like, will bite the giant and beat him up like that. Um it's kind of weird because we only saw the giant join the NWO at Road, uh, like after Road Wild, obviously yeah, when yeah. Hogan beats him. He's already done. I'm pretty sure they beat him up and kick him out after this because he, you know, ruined their plans or whatever. He had a very short-lived run with the NWO. Yeah, he, he really did. But at the same time, he was had a very influential part because he was the first WCW guy to jump to the NWO. Another thing that is also important about this match is Hulk Hogan, this, the crowd never once, despite the fact that there's no, no one's doing moonsaults or, or, you know, doing high octane moves, the crowd is still at that same level of hotness mm. from the start right to the finish. They're really, really invested into it, which is funny because I found a direct correlation between however, however more, the more pumped the crowd gets, the sweatier Hulk Hogan's hair gets <laughs> like go back and watch this because if you notice it, Hogan's hair gets all stringy and spaghetti. Like the more the crowd gets into a match, like do like <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I would, back and watch because he, he starts off it's all perfectly blonde another good line too where hogan's hair gets ripped out by robbie uh wait robbie by roddy piper and bobby the brain's like well that shouldn't take too long yep that, i noticed that too that was good <laughs> i like how when hogan's a bad guy you can make bald jokes about him like i don't think they ever mentioned he was even bald in the wwe you know, because no, he just he just never mentioned it. Uh, absolutely zero there. But look, um, then we get one of the oddest finishes, at least in modern day wrestling. Piper actually wins with a sleeper hold, and really, really cool. What's the name of these this WCW ref? Because this was Randy Anderson. I Randy Anderson. That's the it, one. Yeah. Mm. His reaction to doing the three count while Hogan's in the sleeper hold makes the match it's fantastic the way he sort of does the what yeah he does like a double take like a what 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 like he can't believe that he got the three the three hand down massive pop but you mentioned it before this was non-title 
one of the worst and most confusing decisions WCW ever made. Did you actually know going into the match, Owen, that this was non-title? I think from memory, I remember it when um, during the contract signing, like Hogan was like, you're going to have the match, but it won't be for the strap or something along yeah. those lines. Um, and they did mention it like once or twice throughout the telecast. But yeah, it is. It was interesting that they didn't make it a title match. Like, I mean, obviously they wanted like the whole like Hogan to be champion and like NWO to run rough shot and everything. And obviously the next, the next pay-per-view was the NWO brand of pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, definitely they, they, they made it somewhat clear, but not clear enough, I guess. Because the crowd popped. The crowd goes huge. In fact, Dusty Rhodes even says he's a new champion. Until yes. he goes, is he? Is he Is he actually the new champion? Or is yeah. he not? <laughs> so that part's really confusing too. And you're right. Because the ending of that gets so kind of befuddled. It almost it ends it on the briefest of sour notes. Because it's the biggest show of the year. You sort of go, yep, this is great. Roddy's got Roddy's defeat in Hulk Hogan. Hulk... The commentator even selling it like Hogan's still passed out in the ring. Like the NWO have to come out and revive him a little bit. Piper goes back and celebrates with two of his kids. And then it just turns into like a weird NWO soap opera. Yeah, they transition out of the ending really quick. It was almost like that was a compromise. Like Hogan would lose the match, but the focus was straight on him again to make you forget that he lost because it was all about, oh, giant sucks and, you know, Where's Hogan's Mm. belt? And like, they just put the focus right back on him. And Hogan just starts posing for the crowd. Like he's in denial and he thinks he won still. Like it's kind of weird, weird way to end Starcade because it's not a happy ending. No. Even though it should be because Piper won, but yeah, weird. Yeah. It doesn't quite really make too much sense there, but Owen, what do you think of the old school sort of way that like Hogan's blaming giant and, you got to admit, uh, like, Paul White as an actor is really, really good because, like, the way that he sort of looks at the NWO, like, you know, you guys never have my back. What's going on here? He's actually quite, like, re- like layers of storytelling, which is strange for wrestling. Yeah, I like the storytelling. I thought it would add that little bit of extra drama to the show, especially to the finish as well, because there wasn't a title change. They need to kind of bring it back to some, what of a storyline and also set up the, ne- the next story, the, the, like, the next storyline, I guess. Mm-hmm. and where they're going like next year but um yeah the, the 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 ending of the show was really cool i liked how they did it um yeah and as you said it kind of showed his acting chops a bit too all in all it it wrapped up a really really good pay-per-view there let's uh let's look at it as a whole we'll start with you simon even though it did end on that m- tiny sour note but let's face it all of the wcw pay-per-views end with the nwo standing tall mm. we're still in the midst of building sting as a huge challenge because let's not forget this is starcade 96 it's starcade 97 so a full 12 months later where sting takes down the nwo spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't <laughs> seen starcade 97 by the way Wait, so uh, that, but- that's how long he waits until he gets in the ring is it yeah. really a year hmm this yeah. is the this is the era of wrestling I am thankfully to these two guys I'm watching now, and <laughs> I didn't realize that like he was just a character for a year, mm. and the crowd stays Until with it. F- They're into it the whole time. Until four, so four brawl is the last time that he actively wrestles. In fact, his last appearance on Nitro, where he speaks, he's got his back to the camera because quote unquote uh, everyone turned their back on him. And that's it. You just don't see him. 
In fact, they don't even make me until he appears in the rafters and in the crowd and does his. Speaking of which, how easy of a year of work has that been for Steve Borden? <laughs> just, just literally, just like, oh, which arena? Okay, cool. Uh, like it, that's how much of a long-term story that was for WCW, uh, which is kind of cool and something you don't see these days. But like, yeah, let's look back at the the full pay-per-view. Like, how did you think this sort of stacked up? I thought it was a good show. I thought, yeah, this was a solid pay-per-view. The first three matches are so different, you know, with the Japanese influence and a nice international mix. The only sort of match that's a bit flat to me was Benoit and Double J. But aside from that, it's a really fun show. I'm going to put that one on Jeff Jarrett, by the way. And I love Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Jeff Jarrett. And everyone that knows me knows that that is not a lie. But unfortunately, he just wasn't. Look, if that was Jeff Jarrett versus Conan, that's more of a level that I reckon they could work at. But no, you don't. And I get it. It was, like I said, it was a story match. It was never going to be a five-star classic. But uh, Owen, throughout the entire card, how did you feel that Starcade 1996 uh, stacked up? Really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. It was so much better than World War III. And Hogwild combined. Um. No, really, really enjoyed this this show. Um, obviously, a little bit of bias for me. The first three matches were fantastic. Um, but the rest of the card was great. Really liked it. Um, as I said, I'm now on the Lex Express. I'm all about that, the Luger life now. The Luger, I chose the Luger life. The Luger life didn't choose me. Um, but, I, yeah, the whole the whole show was great. Honestly, like definitely... Out of since you guys have been doing the show, probably the best WCW pay per view I've watched, be it as a guest or watching along as a listener. Yeah, top to bottom, I, there's not really much you can fault with this show. I know I'm, I'm sounding a little bit negative in terms that oh, I'd ended on a sour note, but that was all part of the NWO like storyline that you were meant to leave going, oh, that dust, the NWO. Wonder who's going to stand with them. Hmm, is Sting really joined with them? You know, and it's still relatively fresh, but. WCW has really ridden this wave of momentum. Even if you ignore the main events, like take the NW out of this, you've got an Ultimo Dragon match. You have got the Juice and Thunder Liger match. The, uh, the Eddie Guerrero versus Diamond Dallas Page match. All of those, fantastic. And that's not even adding in the NWO. Like that makes a good pay-per-view. So all in all... Um, WCW have got the momentum going in. They are winning the Monday Night Wars as we speak. Uh, side notes, the next pay-per-view, though, is NWO sold out. Thoughts? Simon, we'll start with you. I've seen that pay-per-view. It is an absolute mess, a one-of-a-kind mess. They only did it once and for good reason. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, watch it before we do the episode. You want to see this to believe it. NWO sold out is weird, but that's how hot this storyline was that they were like, let's just do a whole pay-per-view of that. And yeah, maybe it didn't work to its fullest extent, but it's definitely worth seeing. How dare you, Simon Tackler? That show features Masahiro Chono, one of the greatest, one of the three musketeers in New Japan, one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time. That 
Already, that show is the best is the best show of the year. For me. I want you to watch it. You should watch the whole show. We'll see what you think. Honestly, I might watch it right now. I've got do nothing it. to do tonight. I might watch it right now and just keep this truck going on. But um, I think I've seen bits and pieces of that show, and I think I look honestly, without being a bit of an idiot, I agree with Simon. I just pop for Chono. So that's all I care about. Look, this is going to be interesting to see. Like, like we said, it's it'll be one of the first editions of Reliving the War where we follow up a WCW pay-per-view with not a WCW pay-per-view, but an NWO pay-per-view. Because technically, uh, <laughs> they still wanted, they still have this uh, this thing in their head, like, no, no, they're two completely separate brands, two completely separate brands, and I'm what you're talking about, separate people, but not <laughs> WWF. Aren't Bischoff and uh, DBRC the commentators on that one? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Well, look, we still have got one more thing to cover in 1996, and that is, of course, the WWF In Your House pay-per-view. We'll do that on the next edition of um, Reliving the War. But we've also got something very special for this massive month of Reliving the War because as we wrap up 1996, we're going to start off 1997. We started off, we gave you a little teaser that we will be covering NWO sold out, but... The Royal Rumble 1997. We're going to have a little Royal Rumble of ourselves in terms of a mega watch-along edition of Reliving the War. This one's going to be great. We'll get our buddy Neil on board as well. Owen, are you pumped for that one? I'm excited because you guys are coming to my place and I'm cooking barbecue like I have the past last time we've done one of these watch-alongs for an old show we used to do. And it's one of my, it's one of my favorite podcasting experiences. We press play. The listeners press play at the same time. They can also eat barbecue as well to try and kind of feel like they're fitting in. But in I mean, fact, we strongly recommend that you do have a barbecue beforehand before you yes. put the episode on. Yes. Um, I'm actually going to the shops after we finish recording to get stuff for said barbecue. So I'm very much looking forward to it. To, to it. As I said, one of my favorite styles of podcast, watching wrestling with your mates and get to hear... Honestly, it's just probably just going to be Nims and Simon rattling off incredible wrestling facts. So, one of my favourites. It's going to be a lot of fun. But, Simon, we've got one more thing to tick off the 1996 bucket list. And that is WWF In Your House. It's time, which has no Vader. Yeah, it's time. It's time. It's not time for Vader. It's time for Sid in the main event again, which we we figured it out. We couldn't figure out why Luger is so over. We figured out the puzzle that is Sid in 96. He's awesome. He main events against Bret Hart. It's a short and sweet pay-per-view. It's only two hours long. It might not be the best. It's kind of a weird way for the WWF to end things in 96, considering some of the, you know, the highs that we've seen from their pay-per-view offerings. But Hey, it's a fun short show. Uh, watch it and then listen to, to our thoughts because, yeah, it's not going to kill that much of your day. Indeed. And it is, it's actually quite a bit of fun too. But, uh, yeah, look, if you want to follow Owen, you can do so by getting him on social media, on Twitter, at Digital Beard. Uh, digital underscore underscore Beard is the, uh, is the handle. You can follow him on Instagram as well, at Digital Beard, with one underscore. Uh, you can also make sure you keep your eye out on the socials too because wrestling is finally coming back, live wrestling, and you'll be able to see, if you can't get to the shows, the best way to see it is through Owen's fantastic photography, which he does a fantastic work with. So keep your eyes peeled on that. If you want to follow me and Simon, you can do so as well. You can get Simon on the um, Twitter machine. And in fact, all your other socials, you've got a very uniform 
um, <laughs> social media presence, Simon, which is great. At Simon Tackler. Meanwhile, you can you could follow me on Twitter at Doc Nims. If you want to catch up on anything that is on Grey Wolf, not just in wrestling, but you can do so by going to greywolfentertainment.net or you can follow them, Grey Wolf ENT, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They've got some pretty big shows, even just outside the world of um, outside the world of wrestling. They'll be starting up their Hoops podcast pretty soon with the NBA and NBL seasons firing up. And they've also got some pretty cool podcasts as well. So make sure you check that out for yourself. But uh, guys, this was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll do it again all same time next week. Keep your eye on your podcast feed right here on Grey Wolf Wrestling. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.